Hey, my name is Dane Mietov. I'm a student pastor here uh, at LifePoint Church. Um, thanks, man. <laughs> And uh, if you guys have a Bible, uh, like it invites you to open up to Joshua chapter 24. Uh, we're going to read verse 15, the Joshua 24, uh, 15. Uh, as you're uh, turning there, uh, the book of Joshua, if you're unfamiliar, uh, so the book of Joshua is a story of the nation of Israel after the death of Moses. And so uh, after Moses uh, dies, Joshua takes over as the leader of Israel. And the book of Joshua is all about Israel going into the land of Canaan, uh, conquering the Canaanites there. Uh, and the last half of it is all about how Joshua divides up Israel uh, to uh, receive their portion of the promised land. This promise that God made to Abraham back in Genesis uh, that your family will uh, live in the land of Canaan. You see that the fruition, the, the, the coming to fruition of that promise here in the book of Joshua and the last two chapters of Joshua, Joshua 23 and 24, uh, closes out with these two speeches uh, that Joshua gives to uh, Israel. Uh, and so I just want to read one verse from chapter 24. Uh, I want to pray, and then we'll, uh, we'll dive into what this Sunday is going uh, to look like. So Joshua chapter 24, uh, verse 15 says this. Joshua speaking to Israel says, But if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. Would you prefer the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates, or will it be the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live? But as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for, uh, for this Sunday. Uh, we've specifically got here uh, today to talk about uh, families and how you have called each of our families to partake in, in your global purpose, what you are doing not only in Plano, not only in Texas or in the United States, but, but globally throughout the entire world, bringing things back to the way they were always meant to be, drawing people from every nation, tribe, tongue, people group to yourself and how you've called our families to be a part of that global purpose. Father, I pray that you would bless this morning, that you would speak to us through your word as we seek to better understand what that looks like uh, for us uh, and our families and our role in our families. Uh, and if you're willing, just invite you to pray for yourself. Pray that God would teach you something uh, this morning. And then if you could pray for me, pray that what I say would be helpful, uh, would be clear, would ultimately make God look awesome. Well, Father, we love you and uh, we trust you. Uh, please use this time, and it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Well, well as you look at the story of Israel here in the book of Joshua, uh, the book of Joshua, like I said, concludes as Joshua is speaking to Israel and he's telling them, hey, you're living in this land among people that, that don't love me, that don't follow me. And it's your choice who you're going to follow. If you're going to follow their gods or you're going to follow me as the God of the universe. And I thought that was an appropriate text for us this morning, talking about families, because I think that's a question that every single one of us in our family, whatever that family dynamic looks like, has to decide, who will we serve? And I think every single day we come across the temptation of, do I choose to do things God's way or do I choose to do things the way I want to do them or the way that my neighbor wants to do them or how somebody else wants to do them? 
And I showed at the beginning of this that clip of uh, that TV show, Captain Planet, that I grew up watching. I don't know how many of you guys watched that. Um, I was looking at it back uh, last week, week before, and I was like, man, this is way more of a socially charged TV show than I remember it ever being. Um, All I remember thinking as I was watching that show as a little kid was like, man, I would never want to be the guy that got heart. Like, that just sounds like such a lame power. Like, I want fire or wind or something like that, right? But it's interesting as I think back, and the reason I wanted to show that clip to you guys this morning is that if you've ever watched the show Captain Planet, if you've ever watched it, every single episode is basically the exact same thing. Like, there's, there's some kind of villain or bad guy. And then the planeteers all have their own individual powers, their own individual roles that they are called to play in their group, in that team. But inevitably, every single episode is centered upon one planeteer who's like, we don't need fire or wind, like, we just need heart. Like, that'll beat the enemy right there, just heart. And so he kind of goes rogue and tries to, like, take things himself and save the day, only to realize, like, oh, no, like, we can't do it, like, we need each other. And ultimately... They come to the conclusion, like, we can't do it ourselves. We need the captain, right? And so let's call on the captain, and then every single episode, he comes in, and he saves the day, and it's just super, super repetitive trying to get young kids to recycle, which is basically the point, the show that I learned later on in life. But the dynamic in that TV show is interesting because I think it's a dynamic that we as members of a family run into every single day. That as we're going to look here in Scripture... And in a second here, Pastor Rob is going to come up and talk to us about parents. I'm going to come back and talk about students. And Pastor Josh is going to come up and talk to us, uh, to our kids. But every single one of us has a specific role to play in our families. A role that's given to us through God, uh, by God, by the captain, by the one who gave us our roles and skills and gifts and talents Yet every single day, we have the temptation of, am I going to operate inside of this role? Or am I going to go off and try to operate outside of it and kind of do my own thing? And the sad thing about that is that whenever we decide to just say, man, forget about my role. I don't care what that is. I want to do things the way I want to do them. It ultimately derails our family from being able to adequately step into the global purpose that God has for every single one of our families. And the question we're going to pose this morning that we're going to talk about is, is what does your role look like? What does the captain say your role looks like? And so, like I said, I want to invite up uh, Pastor Rob here as he's going to talk to us about what our parents' role looks like, uh, or I'm going to talk to us about what our students' role looks like, and then Pastor Josh is going to talk to our kids about what their role looks like. So with that, will you all join me in welcoming up uh, Pastor Rob? Howdy. Okay, so for starters, I know that um, when you see... uh, a sermon starting off as a section just geared for parents, that's going to hit a lot of us in a couple different ways. Um, But I want you to know that the principles that we're going to pull out are good for every single one of us across the board, okay? Um, Because in all in all, we are all called to mirror Christ inside our relationships, no matter what role um, that he has us in. Now, so I know when we say parents, that's going to hit a lot of us, like I said, in a lot of different ways. Some of us are going to be parents of young children, and that's fine. Others of us in here are empty nesters. Some of us are right in between where we really wish that we were empty nesters, right? Others of us are in that time waiting to see whether God's going to open that door 
and let us become a parent. And other of us are not parents at all, and that's fine. Like I said, regardless, these principles apply across the board as we are called to mirror Christ inside each and every one of our relationships. Um, so as a first point, it might seem pretty self-explanatory, but it's one of the first instincts and one of the first identities that we have as parents. And it's this. Point number one is, as a parent, you are a protector. Now, I want you to see how we're going to go about this because we kind of have to do a little Texas two-step for it. Uh, we're going to try to come in through the back door because it's actually much harder to find good parenting principles from people in the Bible than it is to find about God himself. Uh, just look at Genesis. That's probably the most family-centric book that we have, and it is a train wreck from day one, right? We can't even get through the first generation without literally brother killing brother, okay? So if you think your house is messed up, it's okay. Just read the book of Genesis. You'll feel a lot better, okay? So uh, first thing I want you to do is I want you to look with me at Matthew 6, 9. Now, Matthew 6, 9, you know very well because it's the first phrase of the Lord's Prayer, okay? Let's all say it together. It says, when you pray, you should pray like this. Our Father, who art in heaven, right? If you read it up King James, you say, who art in heaven? Uh, art is not the, never mind. Okay, so yes, our Father. And what I want us to see from this is really the most obvious thing. Jesus just called God Father, okay? Now, to a first century Jew, God is the epitome of holy. He is all-powerful. He is holy. He is transcendent. And Jesus just said, when you pray to God, pray like this. Hey, Dad. Whoa. That's a huge paradigm shift, okay? To a lot of people, that would have been highly inappropriate. And notice, even as Christians, we can recognize the difference between him saying, my father, right? It's not bad for him to say my father. He's the only begotten son of God, right? So you're like, okay, that makes sense. But he didn't say my father, did he? He said, our father. You know, my kids can call me dad. It's another thing when someone else's kid comes up to me and says, hey, dad. I'm like, ha, ha, ha. Hi. <laughs> You know, but Jesus invites us into that. He says, when you come to the Father, say, our Father. So we see that God relates to us as Father. So now that we've established that and God is equivalent to Father, I want us to take a look at another verse. I want you to turn with me to Psalm 18.2. Okay, I'm going to read it, and I'm going to do what Jesus suggested, and I'm going to say I'm going to replace every reference to God with our Father. Does that make sense? So let me read Psalm 18.2 first in the uh, legit. It says, the Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield, and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. Okay, now let's read it again and replace God with our Father. Our Father is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. Our Father is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield, and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. So in this verse, we see eight different ways that David sees his God, and they all are drawn from those protective images, right? So yes, that's a given, Rob. We are supposed to protect our children, but how and from what? Now, so how can we apply these images of King David in the Psalms to protecting our children today? And in David's case, it was really easy because God was protecting him from literally armies of either enemies or traitors coming after him in the wilderness. So I guess an appropriate application would be if your five-year-old is ever running through the desert being chased by King Saul and an army of thousands, then yes, by all means, take up your mantle, the call of scripture, sound your battle cry across the fields and go and protect your child, right? But that's not going to happen. So how can we apply that today? 
Now, one thing I believe it's more important today than ever before when it comes to protecting our family, our children, is by protecting what comes into our eyes, our ears, and ultimately our minds. Because all of these things, the way things come into us, they are communicating one thing, and that's ideas. And some of the ideas that are commonly being peddled gratuitously in our society are laced with deadly and dangerous poisons. Will you look with me at Colossians chapter 2, verse 8? Colossians 2, 8 says, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human traditions and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. Now, to illustrate this, I'm going to give you an example from my teaching career. I worked at two separate high schools, and they were both very, very different. Okay, One of them was laid out like, uh, like a hospital or a prison, if you think about it that way. Um, it's just really, really long hallway with external doors at the ends and maybe like one external doors at the, at the halfway point. Okay, So it's like the big long hallway. This other school was built more like the Winchester house. Okay, where it's like a, another room is being added on every day. And it's like this little wing, you got bad 60s architecture, and then it just comes until in the end you get this blob, this conglomeration of various wings and hallways that make no logical sense whatsoever. Now, in every school, you would have those precious days where we have lockdown drills, okay? And so when we go to lockdown, one of those schools, you can guess which one, worked like a dream. In a matter of seconds, it could go from an open campus to boom closed down like a vault, okay? The one that was laid out in that hallway, it was magic. It happened so smooth. The one that was the Winchester house, the blobs of rooms and wings everywhere was a nightmare, okay? There were so many external doors, so many points of entry that it was literally impossible to keep track of them all. Now, why do I tell you this? Is because 100 years ago, the ideas that came into your home, the assumptions that your children brought in, the things that you would talk about at the dinner table really came into your house from only two major entry points. Who were you talking to in town and what book are you currently reading, okay? Those are the only two points of entry. But now, because of this, the points of entry into your homes are virtually innumerable, okay? Because on this device is a veritable Baskin Robbins of bad philosophy and lies. There is a flavor for everyone, and there's every flavor there is, okay? And if we do not train our children how to use the word of God to differentiate between the good and the garbage, we run the risk of running into Colossians 2.8, where we have either been taken captive or held hostage by deceptive philosophies, okay? Um, and you'll find that once those things take hold, they come in underneath the radar through assumptions that we commonly have and then they will slowly begin to undermine the word of God and eventually run directly counter to the word of God. Now, a second thing that we can do as parents is this. As a parent, point number two is you are to care, not coach. Okay, look with me at Ephesians 6, chapter, or Ephesians 6 verse 4. Ephesians 6, 4 says this. Fathers, do not exacerbate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Now, Ephesians is a beautiful letter, and the first few chapters, it lays out who you are in Christ, your identity, the riches that God has just showered upon you and made you into who you are. The last few chapters talk about where the rubber meets the road, how that's going to affect your marriage, how it transforms your relationships, how it transforms your workplace, and how you relate to one another. Okay, so Ephesians 6.4. Now, in this verse, Paul uses the word bring up. 
Okay, like bring up your children in training and instruction. And very few translations capture the nuance of that word. When it says bring up, um, there's only like one or two that even get close. But it's, that word is drawn from the nursery. Okay, so you're like fathers go goo goo gaga, right? It's that word bring up is like nurture, feed, protect. It's nursery language, okay? So in, an, in a culture that's obsessed with independence, the message for our parents is care for your children, nurture them, protect them, don't poke them, don't prod them, don't criticize them and break them down. Care for them, don't coach them. Look with me at Proverbs uh, chapter 22, verse 6. It says this, train up a child in the way he should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, I'm not going to go into the debate right now on whether that verse is a direct promise from God or a proverb, but I will tell you this, that it is just as appropriate in the Hebrew to translate this verse as saying, when he is old, it will not depart from him. Train up a child in the way they should go. And even should they wander a thousand miles away from home and go prodigal, we can be assured that what we sow into our children stays with them. It stays with them. Um, thirdly, as a parent, you are to reflect God. Now, I know many of you are thinking, well, yes, that can literally be applied to every sermon, every point, every sub-point. We are to reflect God. That's what we're here for, right? And yes, that's technically true, but you're going to see that the, the family relationship, the marriage, the mother and father have a unique way that they can display God within that family. Will you look at me at uh, John 17, 23? John 17 is the high priestly prayer of Jesus. It's the longest prayer that, that we have recorded that he prays. It's like his last will and testament. And in it, he's praying for his disciples. He's praying for those who would come to believe because of the testimony of his disciples. In other words, he's praying for us. He's praying for us. And what does he pray for? He prays for unity. He prays for unity. So read with me in John 17, 23. It says, I in them and you in me, that they may be completely one, so that the world will know that you sent me and you have loved them just as you have loved me. So in all this words, the I and them, you and me, Jesus, who is one with the Father in perfect unity, is also with the Father in perfect community. Okay? Even before creation, before Genesis 1 even happened, God was there. The Son was there. The Father was there. And they were loving each other in perfect communion. And so you have this pairing of perfect unity and perfect community. And let me tell you something is that the marriages inside our home get to reflect that. It's the only relationship where we get to be one with someone else, even to the point of becoming one flesh. Because as you exist inside your roles in perfect community, the kids get to see mother and father together in perfect unity. Okay? Now, I know that sounds great and noble, and you're probably thinking, yeah, that's, that's beautiful. They get to see, you know this perfect image of the Trinity in their parents and it just trickles down into their kids and it spills out over into all people who are gonna look in on that marriage. That's, that's great, Ralph, it's beautiful, but it's also impossible. And I would say, yes, you're, you're right. And as we saw from Genesis, uh, yes, the family dynamic has been a train wreck since we left the garden, but we still all have a calling to mirror the beauty of the Godhead in all of our relationships, which will lead me to my final verse. Um, Ephesians 4, 1 says, Therefore I, a prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy 
of the calling with which you have been called. And that's basically it. It's a challenge for us to rise up no matter where we are on the parent spectrum to fulfill the calling that God has on our lives. If you're a parent here that's single, that's divorced, that's widowed, that's adopted, it doesn't matter. If you are parenting a child, you have God's calling on your life to rise up, shepherd them, train them up, care for them, protect them and show them what it looks like to mirror the Father. Because may our children, our teenagers, our young adults, may they, look, may they be able to look in on our marriages. May they be able to look in on our families and be able to, these families know their roles. They fulfill their roles. They prepare them and encourage them in their own journeys of knowing the Father and reflecting Him in their relationships as well. And to speak to this, Pastor Dane is gonna come up and continue to show us what that reflection looks like through the lens of being a student. Pastor Dan. All right. Well, um, a couple weeks back, uh, my wife and I uh, got to rent uh, the movie Aladdin. All right. We hadn't seen it yet, but we were excited about it, kind of. Um, and uh, overall, like I was, I was like, you know, I was pleasantly surprised by it. The music was really great. They threw a couple new songs in there that I was like, I don't really see how this fits, but whatever. Um, but it was interesting that the main character, uh, the main villain in Aladdin, Jafar, uh, in this um, movie, it was just so interesting because uh, you see just his main drive and his main uh, pursuit is that he's, he's not satisfied with being number two. Uh, he just, he views number two as just the first loser, which depending on who you talk to, people would agree. Um, but this drive of like, I don't want number two, I want number one, ultimately is what leads to his downfall in this whole movie because at the end of it, like he's not even satisfied with a genie being more powerful than himself. Is that number two is just not good enough. And when I was thinking about uh, just my time as a student, when I was thinking about just uh, student culture in general, I think that's a temptation that we, uh, that, that our students can really face, especially in the family. Now maybe we wouldn't phrase it that way, but this idea of, I don't want, as I'm in my family, I don't want somebody else in the family being number one. I don't want somebody else to have the ability to say, hey, this is what's going to happen in the family. I want to decide what, what to do, what I want to do, when I want to do it. And the danger is that when uh, students, when, when, when that's the mindset, when that's the temptation that uh, you give into, ultimately, your family's purpose gets derailed. That our family's purpose can get derailed. Look at me at Proverbs uh, chapter 17, verse 25. Proverbs chapter 17, verse 25. Proverbs 17, 25 says this. It says, Foolish children bring grief to their father and bitterness to the one who gave them birth. Foolish children bring grief to their father and bitterness to the one who gave them birth. That word grief means despair, means agony, sadness, melancholy. That, that bitterness is distressful, it's, it's resentful. And, and when you look at this verse, ultimately the picture that's painted here of, of foolish children is it's, it's one of paralysis. It's, it's immobilizing. And if you've ever experienced grief... If you've ever experienced bitterness, you know that's true. Almost, uh, almost four years ago, I lost my older sister to uh, cystic fibrosis. 
and uh, the grief like our family went through. Like, like, it's like you've just lost somebody you love. It's something so catastrophic has happened in your life. And you're just kind of, it, it's, it's almost surreal because you're standing there almost like seeing everybody else's life just kind of go along as things are normal. And you're sitting there having experienced just something so catastrophic. And part of you is like, people should know this. Like, am I just supposed to keep going on with life normally? Like, you just don't know what to do. It's almost like you're just paralyzed. You're just paralyzed. I think that's the picture you see that the author of Proverbs is, is giving here of when it says foolish children bring grief to their, their parents, brings bitterness to their parents, it can bring paralysis into your family. Where God has called your family to be a part of a global mission, but they can't step into that because they're, they're stuck on something else. And so as students, when you think about what is your role in the family, your role, I'd like to put this before you, before you humbly, is that your role is to chase wisdom. Is to chase wisdom. In Proverbs 17, 24, says, Sensible people keep their eyes glued on wisdom, but a fool's eyes wander to the ends of the earth. Now, really quick, we've talked about wisdom before in student ministry, but, but wisdom, a simple definition, if I can give it, of wisdom is just this. It's, it's composed of, of two things. It's understanding how the world works and then being able to navigate through it well. It's understanding how the world works and then being able to take that knowledge and navigate through it well. If I can uh, use a, a video game illustration um, I'm here to talk about the student side of it. So parents, if you don't, you're not with me, it's okay. Um, but uh, I'll play video games with my wife's uh, two brothers from time to time online. And, and uh, uh, we'll play this game called Call of Duty, uh, just the three of us together online. And there's one level that we'll play in that's just an incredibly small, small level. And it's me and them two and like 10 other probably 10-year-old kids who are way better than us and just make us feel terrible about ourselves the whole time playing. But the level is so small that we learned pretty quickly that a sniper rifle is not the best weapon to use on this level. Instead, you just want to load up on grenades and just, as soon as the level starts, just start throwing them randomly, just everywhere in the level, because it'll inevitably hit somebody, and you'll score points that way. And I would put before you that that is wisdom, right? It's, I understand how this level works, and I can navigate through it well. Wisdom is understanding how life works and being able to navigate through it well. Because here's the thing, when God created the universe, he created it to function on specific rules and guidelines. When you look at the Bible, there's three wisdom books in the Bible. There's the book of Proverbs, there's the book of Ecclesiastes, and then there's the book of Job. And Proverbs is all about giving you kind of the base foundation. These are the general principles that this world operates by. Ecclesiastes, or I'm sorry, Job, is meant to give you the exception that not everything always works out the way that it's supposed to work out. And sometimes God sees fit to do what God wants to do, the way that God wants to do it, and he's just not going to tell you why. And he didn't have to, because he's God. And ultimately, Ecclesiastes is there to tell you, 
You can pursue knowledge your entire life. You can pursue partying your entire life. You can pursue money your entire life. You can pursue all this stuff your entire life. Even wisdom at the end of Ecclesiastes is really interesting because the author even says, pictures this guy sitting at this desk with just books upon books upon books upon books to just gain knowledge. And the author still says, he was like, that's useless apart from the fear of God. And the author here is saying, God made this world to operate according to wisdom, that there is a way in which this world generally tends to work. And students, if you've ever been caught lying to a friend or cheating on a math test or something like that, and you got caught, it probably didn't work out well, right? There was a problem there with the friendship. Somebody got mad because you lied to them. You cheated on a test. Teacher was apparently upset about that. No idea why, right? Like, that's wisdom because God says, hey, we value integrity here. Don't lie to people. It's wisdom. And as a student, your role in the family is to chase wisdom, is to chase after wisdom. The book of Proverbs was written to somebody your age. It was written to a teenager. And spend your life chasing wisdom. Where do you go from that? Two places. You go to get wisdom from God and who's gone before. From God and who's gone before. Before Number one, we see that wisdom is found in God's word. Proverbs 1, 1 through 2, just the very start of the book. It says, These Proverbs of Solomon, David's son, king of Israel, their purpose is to teach people wisdom and discipline, to help them understand the insights of the wise. I've, I've used this illustration before, but it's, it's like if you were an inventor, if you've ever watched the show Shark Tank, right? if you're an inventor and you invent something, you make something, and then that something breaks, is there anybody in the world that knows better how to fix that thing or even how to use that thing than you who made it? Probably not. And just like uh, God creating this world, he is the maker. He created each and every one of us. He knows how we operate, what brings life, what brings joy, what brings satisfaction. He knows it, and he's communicated it to us in his word. It's from him. So the first place you go is to God. A very simple application of that is, is when I was y'all's age, I, I tried to do this, is that I would decide to, to read one chapter uh, or one verse from Proverbs every single day. And you can read one verse of Proverbs and you could spend like a month just thinking about it. And so I encourage you to do the same thing. Pick one chapter of Proverbs or even one verse of Proverbs if a chapter is too daunting. And pick one and just read it every single day and ask God to give you wisdom as you do that. The number one place we go to get wisdom is from God's word. But the second place we go to get wisdom is from those who have gone before. Proverbs 1, 8 and 9 says, My child, listen when your father corrects you. Don't neglect your mother's instruction. What you learn from them will crown you with grace and be a chain of honor around your Neck. You see, the reason the author directs the child to listen to their parents is because the parent was the figure of experience and authority in that child's life. That the parent had been alive longer than the kid. And so therefore, he's saying, listen to what your parents have to say. There's experience there. There's things they've navigated through that you just haven't had to go through yet. But you will. Like, wouldn't you want to know what the road looks like a couple miles down before you even get there? 
That's what the author of Proverbs is saying here. It's like, like when I was in college, and I wanted to know, uh, how do you date well? I had a lot of my friends uh, that just didn't really date well. Um, I had one friend in high school who on Valentine's Day decided it was a good idea to break up with his girlfriend. Um, I don't know. Uh, she came to school with a box of chocolate. He took the box of chocolate, threw it on the ground, stepped on it, and said, we are no longer together, and he turned around and walked away. You're right? Like, not wisdom. Um, so when I was in college, I was like, I don't think that's the best plan to do this. So let's try to find somebody who's done this before. And simply put, I was like, well, who has dated before and it's worked out? Um, I know, married people, right? They're married. They clearly got through the dating process alive. They seem to still like each other. And so let's try to find some married people who can kind of help me date well. That's what I did. I found two or three older guys at our church who I really respected and looked up to, and I literally just said, hey, can we grab coffee sometime? Like, I'm having some dating issues right now. I don't quite know how to navigate this thing with this girl. Um, she talks, and I feel like I just don't understand. All um, right? It's normal. And he's like, I know, man, I feel the same way. I was like, oh, great, there's hope. All right? Um, but the mindset here, the, the, the push here, what I'm encouraging you to do is, is the second place God's word even calls us to pursue wisdom is from those who have gone before. You find yourself an older guy, an older lady who can pour into you and, and give you advice in situations you're experiencing right now because God has called your family to be a part of a global purpose. A global purpose. Like, let's just like sink in. The, Acts chapter 17, this is on the screen, so don't, it's, it's nobody's fault. Acts chapter 17 talks about, I'm just so blown away by this verse when I see it, is that uh, the people in, I don't even remember what city it is, so again, i got to look up stuff too, um, is talking about Paul and Silas as they're traveling around, and they go to this guy named Jason who was housing Paul and Silas, and they pull Jason before uh, the, uh, uh, the, the jury, and they're, 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 they're drilling to him. But this is what they say to him. They say, these guys who have been stirring up trouble all over the world have come here. Like, they didn't say these guys who've been stirring up trouble all over the city, all over the country, all over the territory, all over the world. Hey, they've come here. That's the power of God's mission. He is on a mission, and it is a global mission. And he calls your family to play a role, and you have a role in your family as your family is seeking to be in that purpose and join in with the Holy Spirit as he is seeking to draw people to the Father for his worship and his glory. Because here's the thing, one day, students, one day, you will be in the position that your parents are in right now. You will be. You see, they're in that number one position right now in the family, and sometimes that can bother us because they'll say stuff that we don't like and we don't want to hear. But the thing is that one day you will be in that position, but it's not right now. But God says to you right now, seek wisdom. Learn wisdom. Because when you do that, you are preparing yourself to be in their position right now. And God will one day give you over that authority to be a part of his mission. And I want you to do that well. I want you to do that really, really well. 
But right now, recognize what you're in. You're in a training period. So seek wisdom. Decide to start preparing now by learning wisdom. And with that, I'd like to welcome up uh, Pastor Josh, and he's going to talk to us about what our kids' role is in our families. Let's give it up for Pastor Josh. Almost fell. Hey, everyone. I'm Josh Longmeyer. I'm the children's pastor here. And unfortunately today, we don't have confetti, balloons, a petting zoo, anything like that. Normal things that I would bring out here um, because I wasn't allowed, one, and because animals don't do too well on the stage. Uh, Number two, as I'm talking, parents, I'm going to be speaking specifically to the kids about their place in the family. But please do not tune me out. I know that when children's pastors usually come up on the stage, parents usually stop listening because somewhere in there comes the words, hey, we need your help. Um, Come back and serve with us. It's a great opportunity for you to join. Um, That's not what today's about. Today's about the kiddos. So if you're a kid in this auditorium, in this sanctuary, will you stand up? Yeah, stand up, everyone. That is a kid in this auditorium. Yeah, you're fine. Awesome. I want to offer you an opportunity. We're going to do something a little different, something that we haven't done in a long time. We're going to ask all the kids actually to come to the front and sit on this area right here. I'm going to sit down with y'all, but everyone come down here that's a kid. And I'm going to talk to y'all specifically about this. So y'all have a seat. We're going to talk right here. See, your parents have to sit in the pews. Y'all don't have to. Y'all get to sit up here with me. So y'all are lucky in that already. You laughing? You're fine. Y'all can sit anywhere. Y'all just make sure you can see me. So circle around here. Y'all don't be over there. Circle around this way. Yeah, circle around here. When you deal with kids, it's always a little chaotic at times. That's why I love it. Awesome. Okay, so did you know that in the Bible, there are only two commands for y'all? Just two. In the whole Bible, the whole thing, everything that we've been talking about today, there are only two commands for kids that are your age, and that's honor and obey. Honor and obey. That's all it is. It's obedience, being obedient to your parents. I like y'all's reaction to that, by the way. Y'all looked very happy when I said that. Um, But I want to read a scripture to you, and the reason why we are called to honor and obey, and I am too. Your parents are called to honor and obey, and I am as well. And the reason we're called to honor honor and obey is because of God. He he told us to. So uh, you can see it on the screen. Y'all can see it right there if you want to look, but I'll read it to y'all as well. Uh, It says, children, obey your parents. As believers in the Lord, obey them because it is the right thing to do. Scripture says, honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment that has a promise. Then things will go well with you. You will live a long life on the earth. I want to stop for a second because I know when it says mother and father, father and mother, some of you are being raised by your grandparents. Some of you are being raised by your aunt and uncle. Some of you are being raised by other people besides that. When it's talking about mothers and fathers, they are considered that as well. That is, whoever is raising you is who that is, this is talking to. Um, but what does this verse mean? That's the question. When I was your age... I would always want practical applications. I would always want to know exactly how this relates to me or I would stop listening. If it didn't have something that the pastor said that didn't relate directly to me, it wasn't something that I would care about. So in this chalice of obedience, as I would call it, 
Um, I'm going to ask you to pull out some of these, and then we're going to talk about what it means to obey. And these are things that your parents have probably said to you 800 million times. So many times that your parents are like, I've told you this 800 million times. So uh, we're going to talk about some of these. So if one of y'all will pull one of these out and then hand it to me. Okay, what does this one say? This one says, do your homework. How many of you have heard that? Yeah. I have heard it 100 times. I am a lifelong student. I am still in school, and I'm 32. So you got to do your homework. It's important. These are good things for your parents to say. Who wants to pull out? We want to pull out one. Just one. Nah. Look both ways before crossing the road. I have had so many stories like this because people sometimes don't exactly know how to drive. And so you have to look both ways to check them. I could tell y'all stories of when I was a kid where, you know, it, they're scary. There's some scary times. Okay, two more, one more. You got one. Awesome. Huh, brush your teeth. Yeah. How many of you like going to the dentist? Wow, some people do. That's great. That's amazing. I am not one of those people. I brush my teeth because I don't want to go to the dentist. All right, Tristan, you get one. Awesome. Don't fight. Oh, my goodness. That is all me. Yeah. I know. You're not supposed to do it. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm going to pick one out here just because I want a chance to. Be nice to your brothers and sisters. Yeah. That's for students, too. You guys over there, students, be nice to your brothers and sisters. Y'all need to be, listen to these things. These are important. So why do our parents tell us these things? Why are they important? Okay, y'all can answer. I'm cool with that. There you go. There you go. What about you? What do you think? They are the boss. They are the boss. And sometimes you can get black eyes from your Oh, I know. Yeah. I got black eyes on my nose. What do you, what? Education. Education as well, yeah. Dane's been talking about it, and uh, Rob's been talking about it. But here, let me, let me read this to y'all, uh, what this actually means. Your parents tell you these things because they love you. Number one, they want you to be safe and healthy. They want you to, be, uh, to do all that you can do. And so they tell you these things to make sure that you are safe and that you are happy and healthy. You know, God gave us parents. I know that's sometimes we don't think of it that way, but God's gift to us is our parents. They teach us the way of the world. They teach us what we don't know and how we can learn better. And they teach us to be better people so that when we are older, as Dane said earlier, when we are older, we know what to do. Um, <laughs> so, um, never forget that God gave us parents to learn while we are learning. Um, learn why we are, what we need to know about life. Sorry, I'm getting off here. Uh, never forget that the things that we do, um, we do is because parents, because uh, God gave us parents. Okay, I'm getting a little off here, but it's okay. Okay, so for each of y'all, I want to give y'all nine things, and you're going to get a handout when you go back to your seat that has these on them, and these are ways that you can honor and obey your parents every single day, and they're simple things. There's simple things that you can do to better yourselves and build your relationship with your parents, okay? All right, number one. We're going to go with number one. All right, everyone listening. Obey your parents even when they're not looking. So how many times has your parents told you to clean your room and then they walked away and you were like, you know what, I'm going to go outside and play basketball. Yeah, we should not do that. Obey your parents even when they're not looking. 
Speak politely to your parents. Be nice to them. They love you. Listen to what your parents are saying. Don't just tune them out. Listen to them. Have a conversation with them. Say good things about your parents to others. So if you talk about your parents to other people, say good things about them. Uh, learn from your parents. Learn from the situations. Learn from what they've done. The good things and the bad. That's the good thing about life is that we can learn from the people around us and we can learn from our parents. Help your parents cheerfully. Always be willing to help your parents. Always do it because they want, thank you. Always do it because they want, uh, it's because it's the right thing to do, not because you have to. Pray for your parents. Always pray for your parents. Your parents pray for you every day, I would bet, all the time. You know, the Bible says pray without ceasing. I bet if you asked your parents right now, they would tell you that they pray for you without ceasing. Um, do kind things for your parents, even when they don't ask. Do kind things. Help with the dishes. Help clean the table. And finally, tell your parents you love them. They love you. Tell them you love them. <laughs> okay, so here's what we're going to do now. All of y'all, I'm going to have y'all go back to your seats in a second. But... I want you to do this on your way back. I want you to think about the things that we just talked about. You're gonna get some cards from Cece and Vanessa that will tell you exactly the stuff that we just talked about. And when you get back to your seat, hug your mom, hug your dad, tell them that you love them. Give them that time, okay? So y'all go ahead and go back. You good? Okay. Uh, parents, as they're heading back to your, their seats, uh, we here at LifePoint know that you're the disciples of your kids. We are not. We just partner with you. My job is to partner with you um, to help you train up your kids. So in the worship guide, or in the pastor's guide, I, didn't, I never know what this thing's called. In this thing, um, we have an activity, an application that you can do at home. It's a really simple thing that y'all can do as a family to reinforce what we've talked about today. Um, because we want to make sure that y'all can take what you've learned in the worship center and take it home. And that's the main reason. And every week we actually have one of these family applications in the worship guide um, that y'all can look at. Uh, when we started out talking about this uh, sermon, oh, it sucked. When we started talking about this service, we wanted to create a time of intentionality around it. Uh, we wanted to talk from the parents' point of view, the students' point of view, and the kids' point of view. But we also want to give you an opportunity as a family to have intentional time with each other. So we're going to spend the next couple of minutes and allow you guys to pray as a family. Pray as a, a group. Get together. If your family's not here, spend this time actually praying for them. Have a time of talking to God about what's going on. We love you here at LifePoint, and we love your families. So we just want you all to have this time to th talk to God about what's going on. So pray away. Father, I, uh, I thank you for, for this day that you've given us. Um, man, just even thinking about the idea of a, of a, of a family, um, how, how every single one of us here that are here this morning are, are part of a, a biological family. 
but even how you use that term family. How that when you draw us from death to life, that you bring us into a family. And how big of a thing that that family is to you. That you are using families, but even more than that, you are using family, your family. You as the perfect father, the, uh, the perfect combination of both power and love. You are using a family to change the world. A family made up of every tribe, tongue, nation. For your glory. That when we messed things up in Genesis chapter 3, when death came into this world, you stepped in and you spoke into that and you said, this is not going to be the end. I'm going to work through a family. I'm going to send my son. You use the word son. He's going to crush death, and then he is going to bring mankind back together. There's going to be a new heavens and a new earth where there will be no more crying or mourning or death or sadness or anything else that I will bring things back to the way they were meant to be. In me is life and life eternal. So, Father, I thank you for families. I thank you for bringing us into your family. And I pray, Lord, that as we leave this morning, that you would fill our minds even now with, with the role that you've called us to play and what that looks like specifically for our individual contexts, as I know that there are so many different individual contexts here this morning, and that's awesome, and I praise you for that, and you rejoice in that because you love diversity. I pray, Father, that you would bring those things to our minds, that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit, that you would give us courage, and you would cast away fear from us. We would step out to join you in the global purpose that you are calling every single one of us to, for your glory and for our good. We love you, and we trust you. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.